This episode is sponsored by 12th Street Sound, a recording studio in New Westminster run by owner and engineer Anthony Santorini. Anthony has worked with award-winning acts in all genres, and he's known for his professional approach to making great records at affordable prices. Make your 2023 memorable with your next production, recording, or mixing project. Go to 12thstreet.ca to learn more. That's 12thst.ca to learn more. Thanks to Anthony at 12th Street for sponsoring the show. We have like this wonderful group of folks that have continued to you know check in on us and see how we're doing or like reach out to hey you guys want to play a show so it's always been punk in the truest sense of the word is they were not like a, a, a cookie cutter of another band hello and welcome to pacific sound radio your go-to source for everything happening in the vancouver music scene I'm James Olson, and for our first episode of the 2023 season, we are speaking with Byron and Adam Slack of Invasives. Invasives are a punk power trio who employ soaring vocals, technical precision, and bursts of aggression as a three-pronged sonic weapon. 2023 marks the 20th anniversary of the band's debut record, and on this episode we reflect on Invasives' unique place as one of the longest-running groups in the Vancouver punk and hard rock scene, discuss their definition of the punk ethos, and hear some tales from the road. Here's a cut from their latest release, Feel Good Live Forever. This is Abstract World. Thank you for coming on the show, guys. Just uh, do a brief little round of introductions just so listeners know who's uh, speaking. This is Adam. And what do you play, Adam? I play the bass guitar in Invasives. Hi, this is Byron from Invasives, and I play guitar. And Adam sings, too. And I sing as well. Awesome. Hans couldn't be here. He's our drummer. But he uh, sends his regrets. One of the things I, I noticed doing you know, research for this episode was with the first Invasives record coming out back in 2003, that means the band has been writing and recording music together for 20 years. Take me back to when you guys were first starting out. How did you meet up, which might be kind of a, a trick question, and form Invasives? Well, I mean, Adam and I are brothers, and we played in tons of bands together had been making music together as something that was just a form of expression that we enjoyed. I don't know. I guess it was like I did a, I wrote a record that was all, uh, I played the drums and the bass and the guitar. And I was like, I'm going to put a band together to play this stuff. Uh, and just was sort of looking out into our peer group to see who was going to play what and just figuring it out, uh, with no real goal other than just like playing a couple shows. Uh, and it ended up being, Adam was originally going to play guitar and then begrudgingly you took out the bass? No, I don't even think so. Because you were playing with, uh, Byron asked Hans to play drums. And that was in like in 2001. And because I'd never played bass before, I was a guitar player. 
and uh, Byron had uh, Jim Black, which was a friend of ours on uh, guitar. He would do some lead guitar and stuff like that. And you were just kind of feeling out the record that you had recorded with those guys. And then you asked me if I would be willing to play bass. And I was like, hmm. (laughs) I wasn't super excited about it at all. And then I was like, well, okay. I mean, it's, I'm not doing anything else. I was like, I don't know, probably like 19 or something like that. And I was like, ah, whatever. I got all the time in the world. I'll mess around with that or I'd, I'd help you out. And then within like playing, I don't know, a handful of times, I was like, oh, this is great. So I slowly became a bass player over the first few years of the band. Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, showed up to audition Jim on guitar, and Hans happened to be in the same house, and there was a drum kit in the house, and he sat down and was like, can I join you guys on this? Like, it wasn't an audition. It was just like, let's learn the songs, but Hans knew them all already. So he'd listened to it, and I was like, turned to him and was like, dude, you want to be the drummer? Uh, he was like, okay. And so literally, then these guys moved in together, and they were living above like a dog grooming shop uh, in like uh, uptown White Rock. And uh, there was a lot of space up there. And it was pretty quiet uptown at night. And there's no neighbors. So we set up a rehearsal space in their flat and just were uh, banging out music. And like, you know, some of the sort of rub-a-dub types would be knocking on the door at night when we were rehearsing. Uh, but we threw out all of our material and went into sort of writing mode with the idea that we were going to make a record in like a couple months. And about 15 songs came out of it. And we went to Orphan Studios, which was like uh, just off of like Central Surrey, uh, off 152nd. Is that where it was? King George. King George. Uh, and... Yeah, banged out that record in like a couple, like a, a few nights. We like basically tracked everything and then mixed it and then mastered it and put it out on CD with, uh, at that point we were a three-piece and just, that was it. There was, an, there was an interesting part in that time period because the record that Byron had written was very like rock-oriented and True. and emotive and like had like tons of uh, like, really thick in melody, especially vocal melody. But then in the time that Byron had put out that record and then started the band with like Hans and me and that guy Jim, a friend of ours, Byron dove really deep into the Ramones for like the first time. And then that's when you started to go, what box can I put a band in? Just the idea of the limitations that the Ramones have on like them as like a rock outfit where it's just like, you know, there's no surprises. These are, this is the box we work within. You got really entertained by that and go, let's strip it right down and, and have like this weird, like you made up your own weird formula. But that's the thing with, I was like, what it makes a band that I like? And it was like, typically I'm not a genre, you know, specific listener. You know, this is what the Ramones do. They do this one thing. You know, this and a lot of the bands that I was listening to at that time, it's like, this is what, you know, the Jesus Lizard do. This is what this band does. And it was like, oh, I guess you can really make an impact or have some influence if you sort of make up your mind of what's, pardon me, not what the style is going to be that you invent, but working within the the, the restraints of uh 
what the idea is or what the point is you're trying to get across musically. Like having a, a set identity that people are like, oh, I know what, what this band is about. Yeah, like if you put on one of our songs, you'd know it was us right away. And what's important about that is that you make it a feeling, not a genre. So it's like the, the invasives, like from the get-go, what's Byron's idea was like, yeah, there were aspects of choosing how to write the songs that he wanted to start writing, but it ends up being a feeling. And when you think of bands like Ramones, Cheese Lizard, like, you know, we, all those bands fall into a punk rock thing, but they all have such a distinct feeling to them. And that's what we hope to achieve, I think. Yeah, so it's kind of a combination of, uh, you know, it's funny that I'd never really listened to the Ramones with intent. I listened to lots of music like Devo or I listened to, you know, the Dead Kennedys or, you know, other, but I hadn't gone into a lot of like, uh, more explicit like punk rock and it was sort of a time where I was recognizing what that meant always in coming from a place where I started wanting to play music in a garage band sort of setting uh, because of like my the the impact of like Nirvana seeing them on TV and then discovering that band and just going from there wanting to keep it as uh, trying to not be uh identify with a look or a, a certain uh, media but or like something, a style, other than what the music had to offer. This is a long-winded answer to a very simple question, but uh, yeah, basically the template that we, the three of us put together by utilizing what we were good at and not uh, trying to do anything that was outside of uh, our our skill set, built the idea of what we were going to do and we went strictly from there. And we haven't actually diverged that much. No, but the other thing is like that's where the Married to Music name comes in because like the band Which wanted- was your original name. Yeah, yeah, so that's going too far in that idea. So it's like our idea was to be anti-rock, right? This whole cartoonish thing of like, oh, you're in a band. You got to be this way. You got to look this way. You got to be tatted up. You got to be- You got to Jack Daniels. Yeah, you got to yeah. present like all that fucking machismo that is disgusting. We were like, we can't stand that stuff. So therefore, we will be even anti-rock in our name. You guys are succeeding because I'm noticing that like that, that cock rock shit is like really, really getting like old. It's really fading out. It's not gonna, yeah, it's, it's not something that will be admired from afar. <laughs> At least I hope not. Yeah, uh, that, that has been a huge piece of what it is that we've tried to do is to not, yeah, buy into rock and roll bullshit, which just promotes stupidity. And it's like I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not coming down on those bands. It's great. People should have fun and should have a party. When I listen to music, I hope that there's something more there and an honesty in the music that comes across in. I hope, hopefully, in what we do. Uh, and yeah, sure, we wear some influences on our sleeve at times, but basically all we're trying to do is create something that sounds like us and belongs to us, and people we, we can people can enjoy that along with us. Yeah. You cite Ramones and the Jesus Lizard as some, as some influences. I'm curious as to what other bands you were listening to when you were forming the group and what bands or artists get you going nowadays. I mean, at the time, uh, it, we were very much, uh, you know, young people of the era. I mean, we enjoyed Helmet and you know, Helmet. the Deftones yeah. and uh, Faith No More and, you know, uh, but at also really enjoying 
like early Black Flag and uh, things like Devo. And, you know, we both listened to a lot of avant-garde music, jazz. You know, there, there was all these things that sort of uh, at the time influenced. Like I like classic rock, too. I like The Doors. I like, uh, you know, Black Sabbath is one of the greatest bands that ever was. My uh, longtime listeners probably know that that's like my number one favorite band. (laughs) They're incredible. Uh, And just like of of that time, there was a lot of that. And then we just sort of squished that with like proto-punk rock and punk rock. And out, out came sort of what our version of classic rock is just sped up. But like Ozzy... Is definitely was a huge influence on how I decided to deliver vocals, uh, and it was literally like a mash between Ozzy Osbourne and and Snapcase, the hardcore band Snapcase, Snapcase. from nineties and early two thousands. Yeah, my uncle told me about that band. Yeah, years ago. Yeah, so that music that we the the band came to be influenced heavily by bands that we ended up playing a lot of shows with. Uh, you know, we really did deep dives into SNFU, who we did spent a lot of time on the road with, and No Means No, Handsome Brothers, uh, other bands that we played with. We took influence from like as simple as like Circle the Wagons from you know Nelson BC or playing with somebody who's so weird like Ham from Winnipeg. But we love like the Smalls and we love Kittens and Removal from Vancouver, who we owe basically any kind of uh, artistic journey to. They're the ones that kind of pulled us from the muck and were like, hey, let's take these guys out on the road and exposed us to a bunch of things and people and taught us how to do it, how to behave and how to do things right. Uh, and so we're very beneficial in that. And so we kind of, you can, as you go through our records, you can hear the progression of us uh, growing and learning as musicians and as people. Uh, so it's this really nice document for us to look back on uh, and hopefully grow with our audience uh, of, you know, which is like basically a close knit group of friends at this point. So, uh, yeah. I don't know if you want to add any of that. What are you listening to now, Adam? What am I listening to now? I don't know. It gets really convoluted when it comes to especially how we consume music now. Yeah. The streaming is you can like... listen to like anything you want yeah, at any time. Yeah. So it's like music listening has certainly changed, especially for me in the last five years. And uh I I still like buying vinyl, and I listen to a lot of it. But when it comes to music exploration, it's so easy that I'm all over the map all the time, every day. And it's just like, you know, it's, you know. So it's like, it's mostly, these days, it's mostly like 80s jazz fusion, which is a huge kick of mine right now. Um, modern bands that are like, you know, applicable to stuff Invasives is doing, I guess, like, you know, Battles has been a band that all three of us have really loved in the last decade that, I mean, I don't know, when did they even start? In the early 2000s, maybe. So a long time. (laughs) They're a big influence on us, and we really appreciate those guys. Um, But otherwise, you know, and as you get older, too, you don't um, glob on to, or you don't identify yourself with what you listen to anymore, Right. And that's what happens to a lot of people as they get older and why they get stuck in listening to the stuff that they when they're a teenager because that's how they identified themselves as a person. But I, I haven't gotten there yet. No, I'm not there either. And no. I kind of, I considering how like I'm always, I have that in my front of my mind. I don't totally. think I ever will. That's I'm I, like, I, I don't get bored be... of the music I, I loved when I was a teenager. Like I, I love listening to like, 
Led Zeppelin and you know I mentioned Black Sabbath but like I don't listen to them nearly as much as I did when I was like 15. Exactly. And you cuz you felt like a thing of identity, right? Where it's actually you could you could separate yourselves yourself from other people by enjoying that mm-hmm. band. It kind of built something inside you, right? And once you become a fully foreign person, that doesn't really happen anymore when you hear artists. Yeah. And especially if you, uh, I think, play music as well and create music. So it's like you have this other relationship with it. And I just love anything new. And it's always rhythmically based. Anything that is like catches me is always a interesting uh, rhythmical thing. It's not usually melody. It's like I have to have something like um, unique to, and that's why jazz fusion comes in, where it's just like there's always something there that I haven't quite experienced before. Makes a lot of sense considering, like, just uh, you guys as a power trio, like, there's just a lot of technical precision going on, like a lot of syncopation I find mm-hmm. between like, the, vo- the vocals and the and the passages as well. That's what we like. All three of us are really like because we all like uh, Byron and Hans are both great drummers. I can play the drums, and I'm really I. When if I think of playing an instrument, my first thing is like rhythm and drums. I'm not a very great drummer, but because <laughs> I just don't do it. But all of us are rhythmically minded, so we're, none of us are really that. Uh, uh, like we don't have much precision on our instruments, but when it comes to putting a song together, each part can interact with each other, and it does get there. But none of us are that proficient on our on our instruments necessarily. But together it works the way that it gets put together. Being really humble. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I think you're a great bassist. Like from what thank I've heard. you, yeah, yes. thank you. But then you know, like the music that I enjoy listening to, which is an entire world of music, I'm like, you know, I, I play bass as well, and I look at Thundercat, and I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, well, I mean, like, how can no one on planet Earth has ever played bass like him? So yeah. it's like you listen to him, and you're like, Well, I can't do anything. It's like he's like from another planet or something. <laughs> he is from another planet. Yeah. Basically, invasive is like if you're going to write an invasive song, just do something that's like a polyrhythm between the bass and the guitars and the drums. And so one of the things that is typical of us is if you were like, you know, if you're going to write a Ramon song, you need three chords and it needs to be two minutes long. Four, four beat only. Yeah. And it needs to be, I don't want to something, something, something. Uh, so for like us. This song. <laughs> yeah. And then. So for us, it's like put the drums in four, put the whatever the guitars are playing in three, so it resolves like every eight bars, and then the vocals will be in four with the drums. So essentially, I'm doing polyrhythms the whole time, at, as but the vocals are very rhythmic, and the guitar part's very rhythmic too. So it's like uh, having those pieces come together kind of do a different version of filling up the space. Like when we're talking about Black Sabbath, they're like, well, we tuned all our guitars down, we played really loud, and we played big chords and played slow, so it filled up the space and made everything sound really powerful. Uh, and the way that we kind of fill the space is by uh, having the band act sort of as like an auxiliary percussion unit. So there's kind of always something uh, popping up uh, in, on the offbeats or on the downbeats, you know, in, a, in a, as much as three people can do playing guitar and bass and drums. But it kind of gives us that piece where people go, this sounds really complicated. When really, if you, if you break it down piece by piece, it's not necessarily so. Uh, and then sometimes it's like we might put in a flourish here or there. Uh, but I think that that's us working with 
the ability, like I don't consider myself a guitar player at all. And I think of myself as like a total hack. Uh, I do everything wrong and I barely know how my gear works. <laughs> but uh, playing with these guys, because they are filling the gaps that I'm missing on, it makes it so that uh, we sound like a, like a band, which is great. Thanks, guys. One thing I noticed was uh, in your f- first year as a gigging band, you toured pretty regularly and you made it all the way out to Saskatchewan. What were some lessons you learned from that first round of touring? Was that in 2003, 2004? That's what I was saw on the, uh, on the gig list on your website, which is actually a very helpful resource, I will say. Oh, there you go. Well, removal, they were playing a show in Maple Ridge and our first record, The World's Gotta Go Round, had just come out. We'd just gotten the CDs. We drove out to Maple Ridge. We saw them play, and at the end of the show, we gave them our new record. And we're like, we love you guys. Here's our record. And they were very gracious about it. And then we went to see them the next night, I think, uh, at a club that became Toby's uh, Cold Beer and Wine on Commercial Drive. It used to be called, uh, I can't can't remember what it was called. Silvertone? Are you sure? It was called Slipknot. (laughs) (laughs) and uh we saw them there and then they were like you guys want to play a show with us we listened to your record sure yes we would absolutely love to play a show with you guys we played with them at the astoria and then that night they're like you want to come on tour and we were like absolutely and they're like well figure it out because we're leaving in like 28 days or something holy shit and we went on that first trip and they took us out we played every single night or whatever it is doing like two weeks uh Winnipeg and back? We didn't, um, we didn't play Winnipeg. We drove with them from, we played Saskatoon, and then we drove to Winnipeg with them, watched them play a show at the, the Royal Albert, maybe, and then we drove back to Regina and played with them and made our way back home. We must have been so excited. <laughs> we were very excited. That's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you're driven by something if you're doing the, the track all the way out to... <laughs> Well, I mean, if you continue to look on that list, you'd see how ridiculous it got. We were out there quite a bit, back and forth between, uh, you know, everywhere to, to eventually making our way all the way across this continent and back as far as like east and west. Uh, yeah, we were busy for a while there, and it did us it did us well. We're still benefiting from a lot of that work now. So, yeah. Always been curious about playing shows in the in the prairies because I know in uh, Alberta they have a they still have a very good like punk and hardcore scene and I know obviously um, uh, Winnipeg is the birthplace of Propagandi one of the best Canadian punk bands ever in my opinion but what's your experience? Oh, absolutely, like? Winnipeg's been great. It's been more than a few years since we've played there. Uh, I think the last time was like God, it might be ten years ago if I'm not mistaken, 2011. Uh, it's just that thing with you got to do two weeks on in Western Canada if you're going to hit the cities on you know on those on those weekends, uh, and the drive times are long. So it can also be like really hit and miss for a band like us because there's there's a great punk rock scene in in all throughout the prairies, but it's like it matters on uh, who's promoting at what place at what time and also a band like us doesn't necessarily fit into that always right an amazing band like propaganda has what they do and they encapsulate a lot of 
people's ideals, a lot of people, and they're, you know, but when somebody would compare, like, a lot of punk rock to them, it all falls in. A band like us sometimes doesn't fall into that. So we kind of, we get, you know, we have a hard time kind of poking our way in those spots sometimes, depending on who's promoting or, or who thinks what of our band. So because we're a little bit on the outskirts of punk rock in general, that that's where we want to be. But it's like we always, you know, have issues. We get looked over a little bit just by our choices and also how we look. <laughs> Fuck all that shit. <laughs> oh, because what? The what? The no Liberty Spikes, the no typical like punk yeah, it's wear, been, it's Hesher been, jean jacket yeah, shit. Where <laughs> are you, cops? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, part of my ideal system is literally don't look like anything. Oh, come on now. <laughs> and so pe- pe- people can wear bag? whatever they, they, they want to wear and do whatever they want to do, but I don't want to buy... I, personally, I don't want to buy into somebody else's ideal system. I have my own, and I want to live by that code, and I want to make sure that I'm being good to people around me, which I think generally people want to conduct themselves in that way. But I also don't want to walk around wearing a shirt that says Coca-Cola. You know, and it's like I feel like if I'm buying into, I, I don't necessarily uh, like I'm, the shirt I'm wearing now is for the Rio Theater because I want to support Rio something local. Bar. Yeah, the Rio which, Sports Bar. Which uh, I actually saw. Well, it wasn't a great game, but I supported them when they were a sports bar. Good for you. That's <laughs> great. Hilarious uh, circumvention of <laughs> loopholes. Love them. That's really good. Uh, but yeah, we have always struggled with finding uh, a home. I don't. I feel like we still don't necessarily have one. We have like this wonderful uh, group of folks that have continued to you know check in on us and see how we're doing, or like reach out to hey, you guys want to play a show? But we're not easily, I don't think, identifiable as a specific form of loud, aggressive music. Uh, and sometimes we're not even loud and aggressive. So it's always been. Uh, a bit of a crapshoot whenever we've gone out on the road. When we have a great show, we're always super happy. And when we have one that's a stinker, we're kind of like, yeah, that, that we know exactly why nobody showed up. <laughs> I mean, it's funny you say that because the band has played with some local legends in the Vancouver punk scene. You, you name dropped them earlier, but uh, along with SNFU and No Means No, who you've toured with before, I think you toured Europe in, with them in 2007. Also the Hanson brothers. I mean, you've also played with DOA who are like, you know, like the, the granddaddies of like vancouver punk really um i mean do you feel that you're part of a lineage of sorts especially like no means no i i hear the similarities sonically between the two and i think that makes a lot of sense that you know you've had that connection with that band i i feel that all especially you know to speak specifically to snfu and no means no i mean both those bands have brothers in them as well uh they also have people in those bands that uh, don't buy into like they, they are punk in the truest sense of the word is that they're making the music that they want to make how they want to make it and people happen to like it and uh, they consider themselves fortunate that they've managed to have careers and do what they love to do uh, and I think that they appreciate the idea that we are trying to do something that doesn't fit into uh they were not like a, a, a cookie cutter of another band. Uh, and both those bands, yes, there are pieces of our sound that absolutely you could say are influenced by those two groups. 
Uh, but it's because we love their music and there's certain things that uh, they they do that we're like, God, that works so well. And some of it's totally uh, not consciously. It just makes its way into what you're doing. Uh, you know, it's not like we're going, oh, let's write a song that sounds like one of those groups. But it's like the, it's more of the sonic textures and the approach of what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to say. Uh, and really, that's why I think that we've managed to sort of capture the heart of some of the people in this scene that have been around for a long time and seen a lot of things. I think that we tend to kind of poke out a little bit as an oddity uh, and that we're in it for the right reasons. So I really do feel uh, very lucky to have been a, to be able to be associated with those bands uh, and to know them as people. Uh, and that's really what it's been about for us the whole time is to keep it uh, a group of friends and treat it like family and that it's important and that we're not here to, uh, we're not looking for, you know, a, a Juno or whatever people go for a Grammy or sell a million records. It's like literally just trying to do something good. Yeah. I've always been curious as to what Canadian artists like, oh yeah, I want a Juno. <laughs> it's an interesting one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if if you're part of the if you're if the you're machine. going yeah if you're going for it and then you want to do because like I mean a lot of good good artists will go that way too just because if if there is support for you there then you're gonna you're gonna get that support and you're gonna go for that and then that means a lot to get a Juno. If yeah, you're, I wasn't knocking it. I just, yeah. I, 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 it, it didn't it line for one. I hope that that didn't jeopardize. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because like yeah. Art Spire won a Juno, and that band's fucking sweet. Exactly, so. exactly. <laughs> Lots of bands that won there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, you know, and then they weren't striving for that, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. I think that's the well. And that's why, why you know, I wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. knocking that either. It was yeah. more just like. You know the 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 mentality. I, 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 there's something about like striving for Juno specifically that I find kind of funny because it's like it baby is. Grammys and even the Grammys people don't really give a shit about anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, yeah it used to be. Yeah. The we have a lovely tie-in is that the Hans, our drummer, Adam Hayes, uh, his sister Brittany is the lead singer for Unleash the Archers. Oh, uh, oh, because he played some shows with them. One or one. one. Okay. One show with them. They're absolutely incredible. I've seen them. They're Juno winners. Yeah, Yeah. Juno winners. And it's like they're a band that that was absolutely not their goal. But they Especially as a power metal band, you're like, all right. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's but you know, they captured a lot of people's imagination and they you know man, it's to me that's wonderful. Because when you have somebody going out there and just doing you know, Scott and Brittany talk to us about that, going like, we're going to put together a metal band. And we are like, a metal band? Weird. Okay, you're going to do a metal band. And then 15 years down the road, look at them now. It's, it's, it's awesome. It. Yeah. The power of power metal. The power of imagination. <laughs> <laughs> what has been the most memorable, for better or for worse, tour or show experience that the band has encountered in your time together? Better or worse? That's a good question. Either can My be memory, funny, so that's why I say for better or for worse. This could be a question for Hans because he's got a great memory. Um, I don't know. Is there some like is there there's there's shows that stick out to me, but not really for like really terrible or really amazing things. We played. We got some opportunities when we toured in Europe that really stand out for me in my mind. Um, doing some festivals. There's, there's some stuff that like where you feel like I shouldn't be here right 
where it's like, really? Like, we're supposed to be up on the stage with the rest of these bands and do stuff? Um, but there was one in the Czech Republic where Helmet was on. They played two bands after us? Immediately after us. Um, so you basically opened for Helmet. Basically opened for Helmet. Nice. It's a festival thing, but we opened for Helmet and got to talk to Paige Hamilton, which is like a really interesting thing for all three of us because we were like huge fans as kids. And then for him to be backstage in a sunny field going, hey, I heard your set. That sounded great. We are going, really? <laughs> yeah. You can have anything on a merch table. And we were like, we have it all already. <laughs> <laughs> Except for your new albums. <laughs> Um, that 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 moment where you're just like try don't don't be a fanboy don't be weird yeah, don't be weird totally. don't be weird uh huh that is one of those moments and then there was another there there was a festival that we played in Croatia where it was an open air thing facing the beach and there was a windstorm and we played <laughs> after a band called Mugison because you know how when it it gets to be a certain time in the morning you're no longer headlining you're like going down the list again mm-hmm. so it goes until like four in the morning so we go oh no yeah so oh, okay now I see I understand yeah, what you mean. yeah. so so Mugison goes on as the big headliner and then we play which is like getting into the wee hours and there's a sandstorm coming off of the beach Shit. and all the sand is getting lifted off the beach and flying at the stage and it was that was a moment where I go like this is bizarre and crazy <laughs> I can't believe like invasives are doing this right now yeah, the, the, the stage was like a 40 foot high thing with like a lighting rig and there was a backdrop which completely got blown out I I think that like a football field across a field and then got pinned against the trees and yeah. like on the back of the lot. Yeah. On the back there's like a forest there. And then we're up there literally every time like having to keep our eyes shut because it would like just getting pinned with sand. Uh Yeah, Hans's old drum kit was like getting blown over. It was great. Uh now that's a spinal tap moment. The spinal tap moment. There was there was a, a show in Norway that I remember where we uh, or Oslo. What's the main city there? Oslo. Oh, okay, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Great memory. The Moon Festival where uh, we got to be on a bill opening for the Damned, which oh, was wow, bananas. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that was another day where the environment was pretty hostile. It was like so hot on stage that my cons like came apart because it was just like melting sun. God. Uh, but ver- a very interesting day with a, an after party that lasted like two days after that. So, And then the damned got really mad at me uh, indirectly because they could, uh, they could, I was smoking backstage. They didn't like that. <laughs> How yeah, could you? Yeah. <laughs> all ca- ca- Captain Formidable got upset at Adam. <laughs> or whatever his name. I can't remember what his name is. Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> Now I just want to see some fan art of Captain Kangaroo fronting uh, the damned. The band has worked with uh, some of the best rock producers in Vancouver, including Dave Ogilvie, Felix Fung, and most recently uh, with Jordan Coop. Uh, what have all of the producers you've worked with contributed to achieving your vision for each release? You know... I, I, I really appreciate working with different folks because it creates a different tone and mood for each album. And we've worked with Dave Ogilvie probably, well, absolutely the most. Uh, he hasn't engineered or recorded any of our albums, but he's mixed uh, the lion's share of the stuff that we've done. Uh, and I absolutely, you know, he's absolutely incredible. Like the guy, has, he he is the guy. And so 
the sound that he uh, helps us achieve. You know, Robot Stink, that record sounds bonkers. And that was really us going into the studio with him and being like, I don't know, Dave, like, this is our psychedelic album. Like, make it sound like a dream. And that was the instruction that we gave him. And then we, it was just, it's just like hanging out or you hang out for a day and you might get two songs done or something, but he's like, what do you think of this? You know, he'd just start working and plugging away and just like running stuff by you. But with him, we never have to, there's no work involved for us, really. We just get to kind of throw these ideas out and watch him interpret them. And then the song turns out like it does. And it's like always been a very enjoyable and fun process. The guy's brilliant and an awesome dude. <laughs> I, I don't, working with Felix was super fun. The studio was brand new when we went there. He had just moved. Oh, wow. To Little Red Sounds. To Little Red Sounds. And initially, our time had to get bumped because there was uh, there's the restaurant next door. And, oh, yeah, the Indian place. Yeah, it, and it uh, the... I don't know what you call those, like the grease fans, like that go up the the HVAC system that pulls yeah. the grease out of the kitchen had come detached a little bit. So the microphones were picking up this like low humming frequency oh, that you, no. you wouldn't hear with one mic, but if you're miking a drum set, it was causing an issue. So we had to like push everything back and Felix was, you know, working hard to make sure that we could get in there and, uh, we got in there and it was like working through some of the bugs in the studio at the same time as like they're getting it set up. It was definitely fun uh, and a lot of late nights. Working with us is, I think, challenging for a lot of folks because we'll be like wanting to go very quickly uh, and having all of our stuff dialed before we come in. So generally it's like you set up, you get a sound, you know, we track 15 songs of drums in two days. Holy and, shit. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, for... The most recent album, we tracked 15 songs, did the drums in two days, did the bass in one day, did the guitars in two, I think, and did the vocals in three. So that's like over the course of a couple of weeks, we just like jump back over to Gabriola and we just like bang it out. But it's exhausting and we want to pull like 12 hour, 13 hour, 14 hour days and some people are like, my ears are fried. And you're like, yeah, but I can still do this thing. We got to do this thing. Uh, and it's it, part of it is due to <laughs> cost savings. Because, you know, mm -hmm. it's expensive to have this hobby. And uh, part of it is due to the idea. F for me, it's like I don't want to sit with something for a really long time. I just want to get it done and get it to the next, like get it, get the cycle through with. And it, Actually, like working with Felix on Just Another Under the Sun was our first time actually collaborating with somebody to, to let it open a little bit. So the idea to go in with him and have him make suggestions and us be receptive to that was like a new thing where usually we would go in and it would literally just be an engineer and we would just be like, you handle getting the sounds. If we would, you know, spend time getting the sounds and make suggestions, but it, that's what they did, which was great for us because we were like young, way overly confident and way overly opinionated. And then Felix was the first one that we kind of we're learning to relax a bit and, and have somebody else's input. And he, him being a great guitar player that he is had like, you know, an engineer with the specific amps, use this pedal, try this, do this. It was, was like watching Byron do his guitar tracks. It was like, Hey, this is great. Having somebody else's, uh, and, and sonically too. So that Felix was like our starting point with that. So then when we went in with Jordan, we were excited to also have him, 
we were even more relaxed with like having somebody else's input. Yeah, I, I really feel that our first three albums, uh, we got lucky with the first one, I think, by just by chance the way that it turned out sonically. We definitely had an idea of what we wanted to do and the sounds that we wanted matched what we were doing well. And then we, not David Forbes uh, did a great job capturing us. Uh, and then we ended up mastering it with Larry Anshell at, at Turtle, who uh, took our direction kind of on how we wanted the album to sonically be like sort of have the cutting shape that it does. Dave Ogilvie mixed the next record, which we he was totally on board, but sort of filled out our ideas of how we wanted the thing to sound and worked with us in our, I think, thought that we were pretty cute and how driven we were to not do some certain things. He'd like, bring in a record that you want this to sound like. So I brought in a kitten's record, and he's like, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you... <laughs> Why do you want it to sound Why like that? Why did you bring this to me? <laughs> and then, so we worked with him, and he made the record sound incredible. It was recorded in a room not much bigger than this room by Ryan Marchant, who's a wonderful engineer in town. Uh, love the guy. Hi, Ryan. And then uh, next record, we did at Lemon Loaf Studios and worked with Blair Calababa and and then Rave mixed that as well, Dave Ogilvie. But then the next one, Desk Job at Castle Dracula, I had some really interesting ideas about what I, how I wanted that record to sound. And through my lack of expertise and knowledge, had my contribution contribution to that record, which is artistically, I think, one of our uh, a true high watermark for us, uh, for how out there we were willing to, and the time put into crafting the arrangements and the things that we wanted to do. Uh, as far as sonically, the record got kind of. Uh, away from us and sounded in a way where I, I wish that I had listened to some of the people that were flat out telling me I should not plug the guitar directly into the board and not use an amplifier. I should not. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, I should not make the choice to master it at this place at this time with this gear, with this intent. And uh, I regret some of those decisions. Uh, and as a result, we have a, a strange sounding record from that period of time, but uh, it opened that thing up where it's like, let's let me listen to the people that are around us that want to help. They're trying to tell you, don't do that thing. And everything is sound much better as a result over time. Yeah. If, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't notice a like significant drop off in production quality listening through all the albums in preparation for this, this talk. So that's great. I think that the digital version of that album sounds okay. Mm. But the vinyl does not. Sorry oh, for okay. people who paid $20 for that. I should actually <laughs> give you $10 back. Although I think that that sells for a fair penny on... Uh... That's the other thing. Sometimes when bands like take a diff- different approach with production, it can be it can be rewarding. Yeah. Other times it can backfire, and I'm not going to name names of artists where they've made decisions where I've been like, why did you do that? There's only one record in particular that really pokes out to me that, that still gets talked about. Which one? Saint Anger. <laughs> oh, well, ooh. I see. I wasn't even talking about thinking about that specifically. What were you thinking about? Well, okay. So, and again, it's like I like all these bands, and I'll put this on record. If any of them ever wind up listening to this episode, I love you guys. I don't mean this is a slight against you, but three records that come to mind are for me are more contemporary examples. The band Nothing, uh, 
they their third album, um, Dance on the Blacktop. They went for this really raw sound um, that I just thought sounded bad instead of raw i guess kind of like saint anger um but not not nearly as as unlistenable as saint anger um and uh two other examples i would bring up would be a gore by deftones which is a later career album of theirs and that's funny because i just listened to that recently i couldn't handle it yeah well because and 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 also it's it's like it's it's a bit of a dud and the record after much much better oh yeah amazing so, so you get yeah. what i mean like yeah. so like in terms of their like most recent the albums that came out before it just like mm-hmm. diamond eyes sounds incredible mm-hmm. koino yokan might be their best sounding record ever and then gore they're like oh we want to be a little psychedelic with it but mm-hmm. it's like yeah but why does everything sound so thin mm-hmm. like why <laughs> mm-hmm. it's funny how that happens yeah and it's like everyone's doing their best and they they think they're hitting a mark and then no matter what you do sometimes there's just a dud yeah, I yeah. and you know, with some bands I, I like their Dark Horse albums, but like usually the production's still kinda what I'm looking for. Right. But yeah, that's like what is the deal with technical ecstasy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what is well, the how deal can with technical you go, ecstasy? Holy shit. How, how do you know can from you, sabotage did Yeah. Which in my in my opinion, I'm one of those guys that like is sabotage is the best one. That's me. You know, I'm I think I'm of that camp as well. Oh, A lot of people the most common I mean, the easy the easy answer for, well, the mainstream choice in terms of like, oh, what's the best Sabbath album? It's like either Paranoid or Masters of Reality. Yes. But I'm like, but Sabotage is like that perfect fusion of like the like the 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 heaviness of those first three albums with the weird experimentalism of like four, five, six. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's... Also Sabbath, Blaze Sabbath. I was Sabbath, Sabbath is good, but, it's, yeah. but that one doesn't sound as good. Doesn't so sound as mean. It's got some... That one is one that I'm like... There's a weird mix. Yeah. And like the mix is weird and they haven't been able to fix it with the mastering. But Sabotage is bananas. And then you go to Technical Ecstasy. And there's this article that I read where the review from the guy from Rolling Stone at the time said his review was of Technical Ecstasy. This is a document of a band. This is an alarming document of a band quickly unraveling and i was and like he was right and he was right he was absolutely yeah. right pretty smart for a, yeah yeah for a critic <laughs> a oh, vampire those, those critics those music journalists <clears throat> <laughs> yeah they're so mad at everything kind <laughs> of talking about all these uh these albums in general one of the uh most distinctive elements of your records is the variety of artwork that you use uh i'm especially a fan of the covers for Desk job at Castle Dracula and Robot Stink, but both by Jordan Bent. What draws you to certain imagery and certain artists for your covers? Well, I mean, those two albums were commissioned through Jordan. Uh, we gave him very basic ideas of sort of what we were looking for. Uh, the Robot Stink album, we were like. Uh, we want something that looks like a Soviet Cold War era propaganda uh, was and and drones like a whole bunch of the album was you know based around uh, robot stink uh, AI kind of ideas uh, and so he just sort of arrived with that and we're like okay perfect let's go with that uh, and then the same with Death Strap at Castle Dracula was like oh can you do 
uh, Birth of Venus, but make it Count Dracula. And he came up with that super bizarre image, and we're like, perfect. Let's oh, that's go. what that's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah I, I had. I don't think that's what Jordan tried to make it, but off of the suggestion of the Birth of Venus with Dracula, that's what he came up with. It was more of a uh, just a, a, a fat Dracula, <laughs> you know, like strangling two poor, sorry little guys. Yeah, yeah. creepy Romanian dude at the beach. Yeah, <laughs> just, totally. yeah. that's funny because he he showed us a photo of a European on the beach with a big gold. Like <laughs> yeah. crucifix as a necklace yeah. in a speedo walking up the beach, and he goes, "This is the guy." And we were like, "What are you talking about?" And then he came with that with that drawing or painting, and yeah. it was like we were like, "Ah, gotcha." <laughs> and we're like, "Well, it's too late now to change it." So that's what it is. No, we we really liked it, uh, and uh, the new album. Uh, interestingly enough, that photo. I mean, that photo has kind of been around. Uh, I I found it on social media. Was like, wow, this is wild, and I saw who the photographer was, uh, and went looking at their web page, and then just contacted them and was like, hey, Philip, would you be interested at all in licensing this to us for uh for this this tiny little band in Canada? We're gonna make three hundred records, uh would you license it to us? It'd be interesting to see what you would think about that. And he went and listened to the band without any prompting and got back to me. He was like, oh, I went and listened to your band. I really like it. Of course. And then gave us like this super great buddy deal. Uh, so very fortunate to be able to use that image. Uh, it's super fun. And I think uh, influenced the name of what the album was going to be called because we were like, well, what are we going to call this thing now that this is the album cover? And feel good, live forever just sort of seemed to be the positive affirmation that uh, brought everything together in, in a nice little bow. Speaking of feel good, live forever, uh, listening to it, it to, to me, it feels a lot darker than your last few albums, which leads me to ask, like, really, you know, where was your head out uh, at when it came to writing the songs for the album? I imagine, you know, some of it was likely recorded during the pandemic, which wasn't really a good time for anyone. Just a little bit of an understatement, of course, but you know. Yeah, you know, the, uh, how dark the album is is a little bit of a, a an interesting thing that I've been wrestling with as of late. Uh, it is pretty dark. Uh, and at the same time, it's like, you know, I like my music kind of like I like my like horror movies. You know, it's like this. the things that we're expressing aren't... Uh, they're not life directions and they're not like uh, necessarily uh, everybody has feelings like that, but it's um, whether you act on them or not. It's like writing a song about uh, suicide is an interesting thing to choose to do. Uh, but, you know, people do make that choice. Uh, there's movies made about people doing that. There's icons that we have uh, looked up to that have changed the world that make that decision. Mr. Cobain. Uh, sure, yeah. And and it's like, uh, you know, if you, in my mind, if you actually look at that, the track on the album, Cock, that is like, you know, focusing on something like that, the whole point of the thing was not only to see it with a little bit of humor as the voices or the verses tend to reflect, but it's the idea that the uh, polyrhythm where the, uh, the cock at back line goes around and around again that comes back to land on just cock, which is an interesting word. Uh, cock is, 
you know, cock back a gun or rooster is a cock. None of nothing that I say in that song is explicit in any way, shape, or form. It's not even flagged by any algorithms. I wouldn't even have picked up on it being about a suicide. About a, a, well, there you go. Yeah, and so the but what's also interesting is that like I, mean, I recently learned that uh, the reason why the member is called a cock is because a cock is something that sailors used to put into beer barrels uh, or. Uh, uh, water barrels to draw water from the, the cock is the thing that you puncture the the that barrel with that water bearing rounded thing which represents sort of like a female form and the cock is literally this thing that penetrates and fluid comes out of and so you're like oh okay very interesting uh, but that word everybody's eyes just go immediately to that word on the back of the record they're like what is the first song on side B what a is song this? about dicks <laughs> yeah fuck and it's like, yeah, we did write a song about dicks, but the song's about dicks who are killing themselves. <laughs> it's about dicks, but not the dicks you're thinking about. Yeah, and so it's like, yeah, it's it's about having a, a, a bigger sort of uh, talking about things that maybe people don't talk about. And and that can be uncomfortable. Uh, sitting back from the that song as a vehicle and then having to perhaps, you know, be be able to stand up for it or say like no I think that this is an okay thing that was being said can be a little bit challenging but uh, it's a piece of art you know Francis Bacon made very ugly things H.R. Uh, Giger making disturbing looking imagery and so sometimes I feel that uh, this is something that we tend to focus on and enjoy in our art mm-hmm. is things that are terrifying oh, or yeah. things that are disturbing uh, and and uh, I can own that. Uh, it is just a, a, a piece of what it is to be alive, and sometimes it's a little stinky. Yeah. Well, it's just um, the two examples that come to mind. I mean, obviously, one of these songs is a little bit more well known than the other, but you know, today by Smashing Pumpkins. At this point, basically a classic rock song that still gets played on the radio is about considering suicide. And then we were t- we briefly talked about Ozzy Suicide Solution is an <laughs> yeah. anti-suicide song, but of course, shrill. 80s moms didn't pick up on the nuance but yeah absolutely yeah and i mean it's i'm i'm by no means like reinventing the wheel but it's sort of how uh you can there's a, i feel there's a lot more space to find new avenues to express things that are in that sort of realm of human existence than there is to be said about boy loves girl or girl meets boy yep yeah and and i've actually have a very difficult time writing songs that are uh, that, that that do focus on that, and this is just sort of what uh, lyrically the way things have gone. We're trying to find new ways to say the same things over and over again in a way, and that does lead you either to the extremes of it being darker or it being lighter. And so there's then a song on the album called Ocean Park that I think is like a pretty free, fun-loving romp, uh, even though it does focus on like destruction and and the uh, negative effects of one being uh, sort of a, a narcissist, but it's uh, a lot more joyful than some of the other ones. Somebody said, "Look at let's look at the album title. Look at the cover. You'll feel really good. Read the lyrics on the inside and feel really bad." <laughs> <laughs> we talked about your experience working with uh, Felix for your previous record, just uh, another under the sun. I hope I got that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got that. Nailed it. Um, 
what was your experience like uh, at the noise floor with Jordan? I actually recently recorded with him uh, this past year with one of my bands. Oh, awesome. How long were you guys there for? Uh, I was there for, well, we I think most of the band was there for about a week, but mm-hmm. some of us, I was only there for a couple days. Yep. Yeah, but yeah. I was there for like, I want to say like at least three nights and stuff like that. It yeah. was like a really cool experience just Super cool. being on the island. Yeah. Which bunk did you sleep in? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I slept on the couch. Oh, okay. <laughs> Need some privacy. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like you probably know that once you spend some time there, it's like going back seems like a great idea. It was just like as soon as we had that experience, Jordan's just like a really, he, he, if it feels like he may totally disagree, but it feels like he's cut from the same cloth. He's like, it was just immediate. Like we, we somewhat kind of know each other already. Mm-hmm. It's my first time meeting him. I don't know if Byron had met him before, but um, yeah, it was just, we played with his band, uh, twin crystals uh, at the war baby release show for, well, what album anyway, death sweats. That's the one. Yeah. So um, yeah, we crossed paths. I recognized him by his face, but I, I don't, I, we didn't know him and going there was, it was just great. And everything about the process was awesome. Um, the first day was right off because the windstorms and the power was out. We had to deal with a crazy rainstorm the first day. Really? Like, yeah. Well, it was like the first night, like the other two guys didn't show up until the next day, which was planned. But like, it was like just the, it was a torrential downpour. Right. By the time we got to like all the cabins and stuff like that, it was nuts. Maybe it's not Gabriella. Maybe it's global warming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. While we were there, there's the first day the power was out, lost a whole day. And we had brought supplies to last us a week, which we promptly drank and partied hard till four in the morning that very <laughs> night and made a challenging next Whoops. day for us in the studio. But then over the course of that, the neighbor's house caught on fire while one of the days we were there. Holy shit. And then there, there was a, a tree fell on Jordan's van. And uh, there's also there's a, a car went in half in the ditch. There was like a whole bunch of stuff going on when, while we were there. Can't Ga- wait to go back. <laughs> Gabrielle is nuts, man. Don't move there. It's dangerous. <laughs> Any other questions about Jordan? Talk, talk we talk about Jordan? I don't know. Like what like his contribution to the record was great because of his uh process of working. So it it was just we felt really comfortable doing anything, saying anything, and by him like, you know, even him setting up to record um there was nothing that we really had to get in the way of. It just felt good. And right. There's a couple of things to figure out with the room or Byron recording his vocals in a new way, kind of reaching out in certain areas and him, you know, us adapting to his process, but everything felt awesome. We'd love to record with him again. I think. Yeah. I find that he, in the way that he mixes and records something that using that space that he's built with his own hands, pardon me. Uh, he, there's like kind of a, for us, like a fourth member that shows up. I think he does that for like, you know, the reason why we went and recorded there is because War Baby's final album that they recorded with him out there, we were like, this sounds incredible. And he uses the room and uh, the way that he approaches a mix is very different than a lot of the things that we've done before. Uh, And so him being able to, it kind of fills some spaces in a very interesting way uh, and he doesn't want to, uh, you know, over compress things or or mute drums that are ringing out. No manipulation. no manipulation of the of of the performance. And so most of the tracks that we did, 
and you know we'd track in uh, a pass or maybe make a comp out of three takes and that was it and it was like well if there was a mistake in there maybe you could go punch it in but if not we left a lot of blemishes uh and there's still th- there's things that pop out here that you know and help is on the way there's some guitar pops that happened with the while i was tracking it uh that i know jordan brought to my attention i didn't hear at the time but in mastering they sure poked out and i'm like oh i guess i should have listened to jordan i've been like yeah take those out of there but uh yeah it's just he does he does great work i'd recommend anybody to go there if they can yeah go make a record at the noise floor yeah, I can also advocate. It was a really unique and fun experience. It's like going away for camp, but you're recording music. So totally, it's best, and, and best the, camp. that isolation is great. Yeah, yeah, we'd never had that experience, so it's mm-hmm. awesome. One thing I noticed was for your second record, uh, "Sweet Kicking and Screaming," uh, features your only music video to date, which is a fan edit of a video of the Danish group, the Tommy Seaback Band, covering the instrumental classic "Apache." Mm-hmm. How, but, and it kind of made me think about uh, just, you know, the the band and how you've been able to build your following. And I'm curious as to how the band has been able to build that following while choosing not to employ some of the more traditional music marketing tactics, like, you know, making music videos and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So we don't, I mean, we, none of us are that keen on doing stuff like that. When it comes to like even doing the artwork for our records is uh, the biggest challenge about making our albums. So it's like uh, our writing the songs and playing the music is is uh, it's all hard work, but it's like something that comes naturally to us and that we can discuss in a way that we are all know we're headed in the same direction. When the recording's done and we're even looking at doing artwork, th- that's a challenge um, because we all have to agree on something that is outside of what we relate on, right? in in a way so then when it comes to music videos and also us being of our age that we are and it's a little bit of uh it's kind of to me it ends up being like playing band where you're i love music videos and i love bands who do music videos and i you know i'm all about but me myself i don't i'm just speaking for myself in the band right now um i don't like doing that and it feels silly to me I feel like I'm playing band where I go like, now we're going to show people what we do and we're going to do this unless somebody had a fantastic idea and could actually produce it. But I can't do that. And I'm, I, I actually don't want to work towards doing that. Um, I don't think I'd be very good at it. And if I'm going to pretend to play in a music video and do stuff like that, it just seems kind of funny and silly to me. Let's see how Byron feels. I made 10 music videos for all the songs off of shorts. There's a an album that we did is 10 songs in 10 minutes called Shorts. And there's, uh, I literally just filmed uh, my computer screen and filmed YouTube videos and then put them all together and made a video for every song. Uh, and I think it's great. Not many other people do, but uh, <laughs> that's fine. I, I was doing a thing. I spent like a week making this thing and uh, check it out, Shorts invasives you'll see the videos there uh but i totally agree with adam i i don't really like music videos that much and uh like i don't know never has a music video swayed me to be like maybe i could like this band it's always what i'm hearing with my ears and 
music videos to me seem like something that should be left in the past. It was for television. They are a bit archaic. And I the, will say that. They are kind of this this holdover anachronism. Yeah, and it's like the things that I think are amazing now is where like bands go to KXPX or whatever it is. Oh, KXP, do, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that shit's great. Yeah. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see somebody lip syncing. I don't want to see somebody pretending or checking their hair before they you know, get in front of a camera. Uh, I don't do this to get in front of a camera. Uh, I, 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 I want to do this to, uh, you know, not only bring people together to have fun, uh, to be able to have the freedom of expression without being self-conscious and getting in front of a camera to, for the idea to promote, uh, your product, uh, is, is weird to me. I don't want, I don't give a shit about likes. I don't really, I'm just in that place. It's like, if one person likes this record, that's all that matters. And if I don't know that person, that's even more exciting. So I'm not out there trying to get attention. We're going to make this music whether or not anybody wants to listen to it or not. I like putting the record on at home and going like, wow, we did a lot of hard work, you know, and, and putting it on and listening to it and enjoying it until I don't enjoy it anymore. And then it's like, well, I guess we have to make another one. But uh, it, it is that thing where music videos, I'm not sure who they're for. If I can uh, provide my my perspective on that, it's just like in terms of the the value of music videos for me. In terms of like, yeah, I agree. It's like you know, at this point, it's like, well, MTV, bunch of music. People don't even have cable anymore. So what the hell? Um, I like them in that if I'm doing like YouTube roulette with with some friends, we're like, oh, we're gonna show each other music on YouTube, and we want it to, to be visual. It's like, oh, great. Well, this song's got a music video, so at least there's some sort of. And then, and then you, and then you put on Black Hole Sun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, oh, when I think music oh, video, you brought, you brought up some traumatizing memories, <laughs> my friend. When I think music video, that's what I think. I mean, I like. I mean, I, I I don't dislike music videos. I like music videos. If there's an artist that's like intriguing to me, that's a new pop artist or anybody, I'm like, if they they usually have a music video, and I will watch it because I'm like, oh, who is this person? They can tell you who they are as an artist through their music video, mm-hmm. and it's a medium that a lot of artists work in. We're just not that type of band or yeah. artist where it's just like that's not even a part of what we're doing. Most people who are in music videos are showing a visual side of them that is a part of the package mm-hmm. and we have zero of that. So to, to do a music video is like, well, it would have to be somebody would have to do something for us because we're not going to be in it. Yeah. Like one right? of those music videos where the band's not in it. Exactly. At all. Yeah. And yeah. somebody has, or like, you know, like some bands just to have somebody do like animate stuff for them mm-hmm. and do stuff like that would be great. Like we would be, of course, like we would love that, but that's like, you know, then somebody has to actually approach you mm-hmm. and you're actually not working towards that. So yeah, fair enough. A deeper question. In an interview you did for thepunksite.com back in 2014, you said that the band's philosophy is punk, even if the music isn't traditionally punk, and we've kind of talked about this a bit. Uh, In the last decade or so, I can point to a number of specific bands and subgenres that certainly embody a punk attitude while not even playing rock music. What is your definition of the punk ethos, as it were, and how has your read of that punk mentality changed over time? I, I feel that my read on it has not changed. Uh, it might have been uh, contributed to by other people that we have worked alongside or that have uh, had something that we thought was valuable to add to our toolbox. But to me, punk is like DIY. It's like, do it yourself. 
uh, go with your vision. Uh, try and do something that is representative of. Don't put on a voice, you know. Don't don't put on something. Just make it be from the heart, and and be truthful as an artist. Unless it's a British accent, then it's punk. If it's a British accent, yeah. If you're putting on a British accent, then it's punk. It's it's that whole punk thing that it goes back to where the first time I heard something that made sense to me about punk rock, and we'll go back to Nirvana, as Kurt Cobain said, "Punk rock is freedom." So a band that we uh, have enjoyed for years is like the Melvins, and they can kind of do anything. Love those guys. I'm just glad that they're at this point where, like, they've managed to carve their avenue where they can be consistently, like, successful by their definitions, and they can put out whatever the fuck they want at this point. Yeah. That is really exciting. We can also thank Nirvana for that one. Well, yeah. Yeah. They they did get a bit of a... They're one of my favorite bands, but they can thank Nirvana for their longevity. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I also just wanted to say, like, punk rock, in in my mind, is it only comes down to creating something without catering. So it's like if if you're creating something solely from a perspective that's that something you want to express without ca- catering to a audience or a culture, that's punk rock to me. So it's like as as bare bones as I think about it, if you're doing that, stuff can blow up as as big as it, you know possibly can and still be punk rock to me if it's changed like punk rock has changed the entire planet so it's like you know it's like if it comes from somewhere where you're not catering to some now there's a lot of catering in punk rock now but if if to me punk rock is just not catering there's a lot of punk rock in my mind that is not and it's like that's not me being a gatekeeper but even just like talking about what punk is it's like that that word is what like what are we talking about? And it's like not trying to. It, it comes right back around to just being like having freedom as as an artist. And so it's like a really con. It's interesting that that one word is getting utilized to like define the difference between somebody who is either in an oi band or Deerhoof. You know, a band that just sort of does the oddest, strangest music ever. But to me, they're super what I would call punk for lack of a better term, but artistic uh, just freedom to create something, whether it's ugly or beautiful uh, or dark, like a lot of this stuff on our new record, feel good, live forever. Go check it out on all of your streaming services. (laughs) You got to throw in those plugs somewhere, (laughs) but it, it, it is that thing. That's what that sort of it's, it's, Maybe we've done ourselves a disservice by trying to uh, attach that word to what it is that our group does. I don't know. Uh, All I know is that those are the venues typically where we end up uh, being able to play our shows because it's a welcoming audience. Uh, It's... it's a it's a strange place to end up finding myself because it's not somewhere that I grew up. You know, it's just somewhere that came that that I it's where we find ourselves now. So here we are, and it's like okay, uh, that's. I think it's really important that people support local music. That always feels very punk rock to me. Uh, and DIY shows. Yeah, and it's like I have no interest in going to shows that are in big rock venues like the Coliseum or, you know, it's like... Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'll go, but it's like, that's a cultural event. It's not really a, it's, it's not really a, a show. You know, you get something very different where, 
when you show up at some bar, you know, some a room this size, a room this size and just see something, you know, where the, yeah, where five people, you know, there's, there's three bands and there's somebody that put it on and put a couple posters up or did a Facebook event or whatever. And away you go. And, uh, that's that's it's a community based thing. I think it's important. I don't think it has to be any more than that. What is in the works for Invasives uh, for twenty twenty three? You guys have anything planned to celebrate your twenty year anniversary? We are hopeful that we'll be able to do a bit of a little remaster or something with our first record. Uh, there's definitely ways that we could update that. Never been pressed on vinyl. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, some ideas for the world's got to go round. Uh, who knows? We, you know, put out Feel Good, Live Forever and have done some shows in Alberta and in BC, and that's sort of where it is right now. Uh, Man, it's frustrating to try and book shows right now because everything's like nine months out. Everybody's back out on the road and doing stuff. Uh, We'll be out there. We'll be playing. Somebody listening to this want us to do a show? We'll come out and do a show. It's like... As long as as Hans thinks it's okay. (laughs) Hey, Hans, shoot me a text. But uh, yeah, the uh, with, with a band like us, because we're you know some of the things that we touched on, where it's kind of a, an oddity, we don't always fit in everywhere, and so sometimes it's up to us to put a show on. You know, we don't want to play every month in Vancouver because why play to uh, why play until people stop coming out to see your band? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're very thankful to be a part of the kind of cool records family that is here. You know, those guys have been. Uh, very, very kind and supportive. Uh, and yeah, did we, who knows what 2023 will bring? Hopefully uh, some good little trips or some runs out there to see what we can do. My passport expired, so we're not going to the States anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I did, we're, we're literally living month by month right now. So it's just like... Uh, we're uh, we're guys in a band who are forty, and we look at ahead at the the next year, and the year is you know we have windows where we can work. So it's like Byron and I want to work on new music, and we also want to play as many shows as we can. But things are booking out nine months, um, so we're basically looking at next summer. Is is really like that? That's really what we're looking at right now. Going well. In the meantime, we can work on the next record, but uh, otherwise, hopefully, we can get out on the road in the summer. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, just got one more for you. Mm-hmm. What local bands or artists would you recommend we check out or bring on the show for a future episode? Oh man, we just played a show in Calgary with a band uh, that just moved to Vancouver. Ooh. That's a trio. And they're uh, Byron. You got to help me with their name. Still depths. Still depths. Still depths. Still depths. Yeah, and they blew us away. And it, it was so fun just to play a show and see a band like that. It's uh, what do they sound like? They they're as they're as loud and uh, and unpredictable and expressive and dangerous as you want everything oh, danger they're wonderful dangerous the yeah best. they're amazing and there's they're super great people we built we only met two of them because their bass player was sick that night they came as the duo so we don't we haven't even seen the band oh wow we just saw two of them there and it was amazing i don't know how did you like it man they were fantastic that i can say definitely uh 
get the the talented wrong R O N G. Absolutely, yeah. I in here. haven't had wrong on the show yet. And get wrong yeah. in here. Wrong or great. Amazing band. Uh, definitely not biased by any means. <laughs> thing. Uh, you played a show with them recently <laughs> or something. <laughs> uh, and Pet Blessings is a f- yep. phenomenal local group. That last show that we just played at the Buddha, that was like, that was my dream bill. Uh, I think for all three of us, I can speak to the idea. It was like, those were, in, but for a show that size, it was like, any of those bands can headline their own, you know, punk rock little venue show, uh, and and but we got we decided to all play one show together, and it was so wonder. It was a bit of a love fest uh, between all three of those groups. We all appreciate each other's music and our per- uh, each other as performers and as artists, and it was just really uh, a super fun night. So uh, definitely those two groups. Uh, I I don't know the guys from Swim Team, but I do really enjoy them as a band in Vancouver. They've done some stuff that uh, we played with them a couple of years ago at uh, the Buddha when it was uh, the Smi- or the SBC that Malcolm was operating there, uh, and and like God, who would be another band? Uh, go see oh go go see the Fomites. They're super fun. Motorhead on pizza. <laughs> Oh, I you were say. Go see Motorhead. <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> Kiss. Uh, you should have them on the show. And uh, so, Gene, are you running for president? <laughs> oh <Why don't>... yeah. <laughs> nah, Gene, Gene's too smart to run for president. <laughs> That's what it we're, is. we're not in it on any time super crunch. But well, that was uh, yeah, that was pretty much the last one. So uh, yeah, well, thanks again, guys. This has been been awesome. Again, I've been a fan of you guys for years. So. Really Thanks, great man. to have you on the show. Thanks for asking us. We really appreciate it. We love we love attention. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, James Olson. Before we close this episode off with one more song by our featured guest, I just want to let you know that you can keep up with what we're up to on Facebook and Instagram at Pacific Sound Radio and on our website at PacificSoundRadio.com. If you like the show, you can give us a five-star rating and a positive review on your podcast platform of choice that lets you leave reviews. Here is Sundown. Sundown.